Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Fluently Forward. I am really excited for today's episode. You know me, I love creepy shit. Like, of course, I love celebrities and gossips and rumors and things like that, but I also like cults, and I feel like a bunch of women are interested in cults. I don't know why. I feel like it's the merging of, like, celebrity gossip and also, like, true crime whatever the fuck that is and you bring it together and you get a celebrity sex cult which is Nixium and that's what we'll be talking about today and it's just like music to my ears. So today we have Jenny from the Red Room podcast on. Please go check out her podcast. She is a wealth of information about like the occult and all of this stuff. She does episodes on Scientology. She does episodes on like sleep paralysis and what your dreams mean and just like all of this kind of I don't even know what you would call it. Basically like peeling back the subconscious and like talking about issues in there. And I just love that stuff. So without further ado, we're going to talk about the Nixium sex cult. There are also different ties to like Scientology and Jeffrey Epstein throughout here. And when we go into the Nixium blind items, you will see that a lot of the blind items all reference each other, which is like so creepy to think that they're working together. But at any rate, let's just get into it. All right. Hello, hello, and uh, welcome to Fluently Forward for another episode. This is going to be kind of a scandalous, I, I was going to say conspiracy, but it's not. It's a fact, which I feel like a lot of conspiracies fall under. But today we have Jenny on from the podcast Red Room. And Jenny, when you first reached out to me, <laughs> do you get this a lot? I thought you were the Red Scare podcast. Oh, really? That's yeah. so funny. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> I've listened to them, but I say you were like, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So I remember you reached out, we started talking. And when I started pouring through your podcast, there was one episode where you were talking about previous episodes you had recorded. And I got like visibly aroused like on the street <laughs> listening to it because you were talking about Scientology. You were talking about like dreams, manifestation, um, cults, like skinwalkers, all of that stuff. How would you describe your podcast and what you cover? So like my little tagline is peeling back the curtain on the weird and wonderful because I never yes. like to pigeonhole myself too much. You know, I, yeah. I love to talk about conspiracies, cults, kind of, you know, it can all kind of come under the umbrella of like the dark side of the human mind and like how people can either be like what we're talking about today. You know, people can be drawn in by dark people or vulnerability mm -hmm. can be drawn in by the dark. But I think like exploration of like the shadow side of humanity is kind of how I would almost encapsulate what I cover as you said it's like everything from cults conspiracy true crime and then I also talk about some like mythology and dark history and stuff like that yes like I love everything like that and I feel like people are sometimes broken down I love like personality quizzes and things like that so immediately talking about that I'm like oh that's a Myers-Briggs like N type or like that's like a Scorpio type with the occult for horoscopes and I yeah. do feel like there's two types of people People where you hear about like a fucked up crime or situation and one person will be like okay I don't want to hear any more about that and then the other person will be like let's dig in deeper and I've just always been the second type so like what's the first yeah. conspiracy theory that kind of hooked you or the first like thing that you wanted to peel back I think it probably was Scientology. You know, I did a three-part on my podcast about it, but I spoke about it on that. And when I was young, I'm sure you and I are probably similar age, I remember it just being so intrigued by it that all these like celebrities were involved and it seemed so secretive. And this was even before like the lid had really been like blown off. Yeah. And I would have been like a teenager and 
as it the lid became to be blown off, I started to look into like how the hell are these celebrities who are like, you know, the most aspirational people to me as a teenage girl getting caught up in this. And that's when I kind of realized, like, as you said, there's two types of people. I also think there's two types of people. One person who will see something, say like the Tinder swindler and go, how the hell do they fall for that? Like idiots. And then like the second type of person is kind of like, well, enough people have fallen for it. How do we like learn to prevent that? And that's why I find it interesting to look into these things because some of the smartest people you know can fall for scams. They can fall for MLMs, cults, or just narcissistic people. And that's like the scary side of humanity, you know, when they're looking for these vulnerable people. It's crazy. And that's such a great mindset to have about it too. Because like you said, I do feel like people, without even intending to, look at situations sometimes and they're like, how could you be so dumb? And I remember... Back when I was living in Florida, my best friend had had an experience with a very abusive relationship, very toxic guy. And we were just kind of shooting the shit one night. And I was like, I don't understand why people, if you're in a toxic relationship, like just leave. Like how hard is it to just leave? And I'll never forget my friend looked at me and she's like, Shannon, that's really like uneducated of you to say like, this is what it's like, blah, blah, blah cut to a few years later, I find myself in one of those relationships. And yeah, it's like very easy for anyone to get into. So when I hear about these cults, of course, you're like, oh my God, it sounds so insane. Or like a scam or you have to buy gift cards sounds so insane. But like you said, there's a reason so many people get hooked into it. Mm -hmm. Like it all comes down to human psychology and how you manipulate people. And we'll talk about this later because we're going to be covering Nixium. And I think it ties a lot into Scientology, but the same themes follow like all these different cults because they work like we're only human yeah absolutely and I think you know if you look at anything from say even like the R. Kelly documentary where they talked about you know all of these girls that he brainwashed into kind of a similar situation to the Nixium yeah. stuff you know they talk about how, how number one it take it can take like up to eight times to successfully leave an abuser but that can also be aligned to like a cult member you know an abusive situation a friendship whatever it is because when those people and like this goes again to cult leaders or to just abusive people if they have that like narcissistic or psychopathic personality trait whatever it is I'm not a doctor to diagnose but whatever it is that they have like they know how to approach the right people so you are just a lucky one if you are a type person who has never been in that kind of relationship or you know even if it was like a cult or something like that you're a lucky person because maybe you don't have some some insecurities or some weaknesses um, at the time for an abusive person to prey on that and I think understanding the psychology instead of running away from and like kind of banishing these evil people and being like oh let's not talk about them like Mm -hmm. surely it's empowering to actually discuss them and to dive deep into their psychology and realize like there's red flags as you said when you look back retroactively at any cult story you're like hold on you were made distance yourself from your family you were you know the way you spoke changed these are all parallels that happen in things like Scientology or Nixium you know it's only when you have the information that you know that's a red flag and most of the time these people are drawn into a situation because they don't know the red flag so how the hell were they supposed to know what yeah. was going to happen to them in the future and how dangerous it could get you know And also the other person is an expert. Like I was listening, uh, Beyond the Blinds had, it might be a Patreon episode, it might be public. It was called the Bermuda Triangle. And they were talking about the child abuse that happens in Hollywood. And I was reading this article about it. And they were basically saying that the way predators would work with children in Hollywood, trigger warning, by the way, for like the entire episode, um, (laughs) 
but they were saying that they would have a group of children and then they would make that into a smaller and smaller group based on these tests. So the first test would be say a swear word in front of the child and make sure they don't tell their parents. And then if they don't tell their parents, now the group is smaller and you have a bunch of children who you know, we'll keep a secret for you. And then the next step is watch pornography with that child. And then, you know, whoever leaves gets weeded out. And then finally you have this small circle. This is how these abusers allegedly work in Hollywood of children that will keep a secret, like have been desensitized. And it's all of these tiny steps over time. And I think um, a lot of people, you know, I think there's a lot of fear that goes around this stuff. And I'm curious with your podcast, do you refer to things as conspiracies? Have you gotten any flack for that? I just feel like we live in this world where conspiracy is tied so closely to QAnon. So any conspiracy, whether it's like actual abuse that's happened in Hollywood, whether it's something fun like Atlantis, a lot of people look at it and they're like, this is dangerous. This is harmful. Um, well, obviously I'm Irish, if anyone hasn't guessed by my accent. So we have that like a bit of a degree of separation from QAnon. Um, It's kind of more so seen as a very, which it is, a very American uh, thing. But obviously it's still in the culture, right? I mean, American culture like penetrates all cultures, especially English speaking. I don't really get much feedback because the way that I discuss it is... I always leave like like to leave it open to my audience's interpretation. I'm not here to be like, you know, an Alex Jones character of being yeah. like, they're killing the children, the frogs are making you gay, you know. You're, like, that's you're not... much too attractive to be Alex Jones. Yeah, <laughs> very, very different. <laughs> but, you know, that's not my modem uh, at Rhonda. You know, I'm not out here trying to convince people about yeah. a, a conspiracy. And I think that's when people can get a bit more interested. I also think that, like, I think that there is a bit of an onus on you when you talk about a bit of conspiracy, just in that you have to have a balance of relaying your information if it is for uh, entertainment, first mm-hmm. of all. Like if you're talking about something that's just for purely entertainment, I think present it in an entertaining way. Um, but also covering some stuff like this that sounds like a conspiracy that has been proven true. Um, and I remember when Nixium came up, I'm thinking to myself, like, this is crazy. Like, I remember just thinking, this is like... And it's why it's so convoluted and confusing. I was like, this is like what all the Pizzagate are saying is happening. And then you're being given. So like with the likes of QAnon, you know, I did an episode on them um, critiquing QAnon, you know, Mm -hmm. but also kind of saying there's a really good um, article. I think it was in... um, I think it was the New York Times and it was kind of sh- telling uh, about like how the average person in QAnon just thinks they're fighting for children who are being abused. Yeah. Now, of course, there's also a bit of brainwashing and stuff within that and it's very convoluted, but you have to also have, uh, like you have empathy for people who get wrapped up in any kind of cult thinking. Yeah. Um, they usually do it be- at the start because they think it's going to help someone or help themselves. Um, yeah. and they're good intentioned, you know. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. as I think we'll find as we dive into Nixiam, like people do go from victims into villains, you know, the more they've been indoctrinated and stuff. But um, at the end of the day, I think a lot of people join these cults because nobody joins a cult going, "Oh my God, this guy's crazy," and everyone's like a sex slave and things like that. Um, they join it with different intentions, and then it morphs into something. So yeah, we'll kind of talk about the beginnings of Nixiam. The first time I ever heard about it, and for anyone who doesn't know, we'll go over like an intro of Nixium, how it started, all the way to the convictions, and then also the blind items about it, because I love 
discovering kind of like the secret narrative that the blind items weave. Um, But the first time I heard about it, I was like, okay, it's a bunch of acronyms, which is also, I think, part of the reason why it wasn't as big as it could have been because like, who the fuck can pronounce that? (laughs) And I just read about it as like this celebrity sex cult that an actress of Smallville was part of. And for some reason, the first time I heard about it was through pubes and pubic hair because allegedly we'll get into this later the leader Keith Raniere he wanted all of the women in his cult to have like big bushy pubic hair and for some reason that was the first headline I ever saw about it what was like your first experience (laughs) so 70s um my (laughs) so weird my first experience of it right so I like you have um been reading like crazy days and nights and blind items for quite a while I've, yes. I've, you know when I was a teenager I was very online teenager I was a yes. Tumblr girl you know yes. every level my space like every level of the internet I've been through it you know yeah uh, now making a podcast like how cringe of me and predictable but <laughs> but I remember when the me too stuff started to break out right and yeah. I was like this has been spoken about for a long time online. Um, yes. You know, I probably discovered Crazy Days and Nights around the same time, maybe 2015, 14, maybe a tiny bit earlier. And I was like, this has been stuff about this forever. And then, obviously, the Nixium case, which I will get into, like, it exploded during the Me Too movement. They kind of, you know, you it was actually quite good timing for them to get that story out there. And I just remember th- looking at it being like, this is insane. Like, this is some conspiracy stuff. And I remember seeing the first thing I read, I think it was a Daily Mail article or something very uh, academic like that. And obviously they led with the uh, being branded on their pubic area. And yes. I just it all was comes like, back to the pubes. That's <laughs> where everything starts. It's where everything ends. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I just remember thinking like, this sounds like made up. It sounds so yeah. ridiculous that it sounds like if someone wrote a movie about a sex cult, this yes. is what it would be, you know? And I and was sometimes just... sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Like the whole yeah. idea of Army Hammer actually texting women cannibalistic turned on things. You, you would read that and you would be like, that is made up. And sometimes yeah. things like that are made up. And then sometimes they come true, which makes you just like feel like you're going crazy. Yeah. And I think sometimes the truth element almost makes the story not blow up as much because there isn't that level of mystery to it. So it just becomes really dark and a bit icky, you know, that way where you're just like, oh, gross, this happened and how unfortunate and sad. And people have spoken out about Nixium. I think HBO made a series called The Vow. Um, Mm. And I really get into dark stuff. I like that in some sort of weird sick way but I could not finish watching The Vow it's the exact same yeah it turned my stomach Keith Raniere the founder of Nexium, is accused of coercing women into being sex slaves he's now facing federal charges including sex trafficking we were all pawns for him in his sick perverted fantasy especially women um and you know there's something I have to be honest like this is probably bad to say but there's something about an article about a sex cult that immediately you click on it and you know it's wrong, but a little bit of you is kind of like, oh, this is intriguing. Like people having sex, what happened? You find out the details and there is nothing sexy about it. It was, um, it was crazy. So it, should yeah, we, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Okay. So how did Nixium start? And it started because of course, like we said, nobody goes into a cult thinking that it's a cult. So Nixium started as kind of a MLM scheme. And when I say MLM, I'm talking multi-level marketing, not men loving men. (laughs) 
definitely men and women in this. Um, so some cults are religious. Some cults focus on like nature or healing. And this was a cult that was all about professional and personal development. So Nixium started as a program that offered these executive success programs and you could come and it was all about like experiencing joy and all of this vague bullshit, but it was geared towards like celebrities, um, entrepreneurs, business leaders, really powerful people. And you would come for a couple of days and experience these, you know, hour long seminars where people would talk to you. Do you know how much it costs to go to the seminars at the beginning? Oh my God. I'm getting deja vu from Scientology already, but go ahead, tell me yeah, how much. It was over $7,000 to attend one of these like bullshit seminars and like an MLL scheme and probably you're probably going to see parallels to Scientology. There were different ranks that you would rise mm. through, right? Because it's not, nobody wants to ever just have a one and done seminar where you can milk people for more. So weirdly enough, similar to martial arts, they would give you different colored sashes to wear as you rose through the ranks, which I I'm assuming there's some sort of psychological pull behind that. Like if you're mm-hmm. the only purple sash and everyone else is green, you're going to feel like an outcast. So you want to level up. Do yeah. they do anything like that in Scientology? Well, it kind of reminds me, um, like I remember seeing that in The Veil and I remember my initial feeling of like, oh my God, how nerdy is that? Yes. Like it's so nerdy. Yeah. And it reminded me of, um, so L. Ron Hubbard had this like hard on basically for um, the US Navy because he was like <laughs> a failed soldier and like lied about himself. So like in Scientology. Which, by the like, way, that reminds me of Jeffrey Epstein was like obsessed with Harvard, <laughs> but never went there. These yeah. sickos latch onto something. 100%. And um, so he then made like the, basically the clergy of Scientology is called the Sea Org. And they all dress up like as like, they're in the the military or in the Navy and they're not. And they all call each other like captain. They salute to each other. But as you said, it does create this like, um, you know, a disparity between the average person and then the people who are like, on, in the higher echelons of yes. what they believe and it's something to aspire to and it's something to get to and it's kind of that carrot on a stick you know you get your purple sash but now you have to get the yellow sash you know and it, yes. it, Scientology as well has this thing called the bridge where uh, it's basically what you dedicate your life to and there's eight levels and you become like it's like OT1 to OT8 um, and along that OT level you find out about like all the crazy stuff that uh, <laughs> Scientologists believe like they're that's like the like, alien God or the whatever. alien god yeah. and all that um but yeah so like you know it, and it's it's like a, phys- a physical identifier i guess you know like what yeah. level are you on um but very nerdy i could never get over the nerdiness of it I totally when i you know and we'll talk about everyone who's involved in this but i can't help but think like a lot of these cult leaders just kind of seem like big fucking losers who got a bunch of people to follow them and also i what i find interesting not to nerd shame because, you know, I was a nerd myself, but the actors and actresses who joined Nixium, they all come from kind of nerdy TV shows, right? Mm. Battlestar Galactica, Smallville. It's no one from like the CW or Vampire Diaries who's joining. Um, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. No, so, it is. Yeah. And I think like, you know, again, not a nerd shame because I think like some <laughs> of the best, pe- it's a different type of nerd though. You know what I no, mean? Like it's, yeah. it's not like I used to be bullied and now I'm cool. Cause that's like, we all know that's a real yeah. trope. It's like, a di- it's like the adult nerd, you know, where, as you said, they have this weird fixation on things like the military or Harvard that you're just like, what is wrong with you? Yes. Or names and how they're referred to. And, and that happened yeah. too, um, within Nixium. So, Keith Rainier, or sorry, Ranieri, 
um, that's how you pronounce it, he founded Nixium along with Nancy Salzman, and they had names that they would refer to themselves as. So Keith wanted everyone to call him the Vanguard, and Nancy <laughs> wanted everyone to call her Prefect. So it's the same thing there, where it's like these bullshit names that you have to refer people to. It seems stupid, it seems hokey, but I'm sure that there is internal hmm. wiring that makes you go, oh, I have to call this person that name, I should be respecting yeah. them. Well, it kind of dehumanizes them almost, right? And kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, there's always a way in a lot of cults, there's a way to kind of like deify very ordinary people. Um, It was the same with L. Ron Hubbard, like, sorry to keep making the the Scientology uh, reference, but there are so many parallels um, that they, you know, refer to themselves as kind of like almost like, you know, either an extraterrestrial being or some being with like higher powers. And you can't really be that if your name's Larry, but if you're the vanguard why not you know it, it, it is a way of like giving you this like title that on paper means nothing but psychologically it can be not a lot you know oh completely and we see that with celebrities too right like it's why so many of them change their names you know lady gaga wouldn't have the same flair if she used her actual name so mm-hmm. what's in a name honestly quite a lot so yeah so uh, these classes are happening for Nixium. They have a huge focus on recruiting. So basically, like anytime you join a session, you know, have your friend come to get a little bit off. They're just huge on expanding their ranks. And after this is just kind of the 101, then we'll go into deeper. But after a while with Nixium, they created a secret spinoff group for women only that would focus on, you know, female empowerment, but you already know what happens. This is where we get into the sex stuff. And they call it DOS, which stands for Dominus Abisquius Sorium, which is Latin, which by the way, if you have to make it Latin to make it sound cool, it it fucking isn't. And I say that as someone who took Latin. (laughs) And it stands for Master of the Obedient Female Companions, but people would refer to it as Master Over Slave Women. Um, so all of this came to a head in about 2018 convictions happened, arrests were made and we'll get into all of that, but first we're going to focus on Keith. So what do you know about this sick leader of the cult, Keith Ranieri? So I know he has like, that this was a, not his first MLM. Uh, attempt he did it I think twice before uh, made some money I think got in a little bit of legal trouble and I also know that he has like a very dark history with again like trigger warning with like abusing actual children like we're talking Jeffrey Epstein level and that again kind of like an Epstein thing like it it was known he it was brought to like uh, police attention and just kind of nothing done about it which yeah I don't know as a conspiracy podcaster makes me be like what the fuck is going on there yes so yeah you're right he had he's a complete grifter and an insane person he had cooked something up it was called consumers byline and everyone just knew that it was like a pyramid scheme type of company he also looks I feel like every cult leader I obviously know they're a cult leader before I do research on them he just looks weird like Mm -hmm. if you're listening now just give him a google he i think he almost kind of looks like jared leto a little bit in the eyes and the face what the world needs i believe is more human to human contact it's been shown time and time again that the more people can separate from being personally involved with each other the more they're able to punish well whether it's the milgram experiments or even in a courtroom where you know, the uh, prosecution refers to the person uh, only as the, you know, the defendant, whereas the defense 
refers to them by their full name and tries to humanize them. It's this whole battle between humanization and dehumanization. And he has this long hair and beard and glasses. And I don't know, you've never met a cult leader who looks like an accountant, right? Like they always have, I think, some signature thing. And I think his hair was his signature look. So, I mean, they always, it's always these guys as well who have some sort of like obsession with having a harem of women around them. They're the most average Joe looking guys ever. It's like, tell me you were rejected in high school without telling me. Like, and free the rest of your life. And instead of like dedicating your life to maybe becoming like a bit more confident or a better person or a bit more interesting, you're like, "Mm, no, I'm going to start a sex cult. Yeah. It's (laughs) not about leveling up yourself. It's all about leveling other people down to like bring them you. So, so yeah, him and Nancy started uh, Nixium. It was executive seminars. And by 2003, over 3,000 people had taken these courses. And some of them were pretty notable. So, a former Surgeon General. Uh, allegedly Richard Branson was a part of this, although he denies it, but there's mm. proof about it. Another billionaire some, with an island. There we go. <laughs> like birds of a feather. They like find each other. And then we had B-list actors and actresses, um, among them Nikki Klein from Battlestar Galactica. And of course, we'll get into Alice and Mac and all of that. And also in these courses were the sisters. And I had to, before Nixium, I didn't know who these people were, but Sarah Sarah and Claire Bronfman, and they are the heiresses to the Seagram fortune. Mm. So anytime you see a ginger ale or a bottle of gin or seltzer water, it's probably made by this company and they're the heiresses of it, which I completely forget that there are heiresses around. When I was looking this up, I'm like, oh my God, there's probably an heiress to like the Heinz ketchup fortune. And she might be doing like shady shit, but like, you know, there's probably an heiress of like blue diamond almond milk. And I I just like, don't know that all these rich people are walking around because their parents made a fortune. I know. I mean, I think they're probably, like, I really don't think there's any more of a glamorous title than an heiress. Like maybe it's from growing up in like the mid, like the early 2000s and having Paris Hilton being like, that was the first person that I considered an heiress. It was like, I think it was the first person like who was an heiress that wasn't an heiress to a throne. It was like heiress to the Hilton uh, uh, hotel company. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, what a glamorous, it is a glamorous word that was very onomatopoeic, you know, has a lot like attached to it I'm thinking major glamour but again it's interesting like that the people that were being targeted for this MLM are like super rich people like Mm -hmm. they, they know who to target and a lot of the time super rich people as well are looking for their their own uh, abilities to be famous rather than their family name um or you know you said actresses who you hadn't heard of and you know mm-hmm. what is being promised here and in like other calls that attracted a lot of actresses like Scientology is like bettering your career you're going to be like your career is going to take off and I think that that has to be looked at, you know, like what is it in society that we're so obsessed with like fame and we're so obsessed with external validation like that. Um, Really interesting. I think that actresses and actors getting involved in these things makes me really think of like the dark side of Hollywood. And Yeah, because none of these courses are like, oh, take this course to learn to be happy with what you already have. It's exactly. all, take this course to level up, to get more, to exceed, to mm-hmm. expand. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are all people who, you know, probably have enough. They don't need to be climbing the ladder. They're already on a couple rungs. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it, it is kind of like, it reminds me now of, 
there's a whole dark side to the wellness industry too you know I there's obviously a lot of science behind stuff like manifestation and stuff but there's also a lot of grifters who I feel are jumping on these things because you also ever you talk about manifestation something that I started to think about when I because like I love to do vision boards Mm. like I love that hokey shit I'm obsessed with it but then the more I learned about manifestation I would totally guilt trip myself because sometimes I would have like an intrusive thought that like um, you know, I don't know, my parents are going to die or I'm going to get fired. And then I would be like, oh my God, I'm manifesting this happening by thinking about it. And then I was like, okay, maybe I need to unfollow a couple of people on yeah. Instagram because like I'm obsessing over this too much because these cults, these wellness trends, especially if you're in a place where you're looking for something to grasp onto, it's so easy to make that your everything. Like mm-hmm. I had an entire year where Myers-Briggs was everything I was obsessed with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally get you. And you can understand if you are an actress, you're living in Hollywood, you're maybe getting some bit parts and stuff. But, you know, you as you said, like you can get so drawn into manifestation, but you feel so kind of worthless if it's like not quote unquote working or something isn't, you're, yeah. you can't manifest something. So imagine something like this came along and you had a, your peers who are members. So other, that's a really big one. You know, you've got other actors there like these, uh, like Ali Mack, uh, who we'll get onto, I'm sure, who was in Smallville and like, you know, pretty famous at the time. Um, so you have people like that and they always, always say it's to do with the, whatever they're doing. It's not to do with their agent. It's not to do with their acting, like their ability. It's to do with the Nixium or the Scientology. And that's like a way of just getting so wrapped up in it and you're so vulnerable and you want nothing else than what you feel like you've been striving for. And then something comes along with this ready-made answer. So that is how people get brought into these things, you know, and it's, it's, it's dark. It really is dark. So, so once these people are in the door, they start attending these sessions and, um, they were referred to as trade secrets. You also had to sign an NDA anytime you participated in any of the sessions. So they used a technique at Nixium called rational inquiry, which is basically just like incessant question asking around a topic. And the questions also were very much like, what do you fear? What's something that you regret? What's something that you're scared of? It's basically a bunch of questions about yourself where you're admitting these like deep, personal, very vulnerable things. It's not like, tell me about your happiest moment. It's to try to kind of break you down. Yeah. So some of the documents that they would use at Nixium were leaked to the press and psychiatrists were talking about it online. And one described it as expensive brainwashing. And I know a lot of people have talked about that with Scientology too, basically saying that these techniques are meant to expose you make you vulnerable and then make you feel like you're indebted to someone because mm-hmm. you told them all of these private personal things Mm -hmm. and they were they're used allegedly uh in Scientology as collateral um because the more famous you are and the more of use to Scientology that you are they will start videotaping your um these sessions right which are called uh auditing in Scientology Mm -hmm. so you go in again their whole idea is like say your whole thing is your father they will talk to you about your father until you don't register on their e-meter and then they are like oh you now don't have trauma around your father anymore um Mm. but they will get you to talk and talk and talk and talk so you've admitted everything about your whole family and sometimes you've admitted stuff that isn't even true they actually encourage you because they're like it happened in a past life um so you know what they say in nixium weirdly enough they would tell some of these people 
that, oh my God, it's like so similar. They're yeah. probably like texting back and forth. They would tell people that, oh, in your past life, you were a high ranking Nazi. What? Isn't that insane? That's how they fucked up these people were. So it's this weird idea of like past lives and like trying to bestow status among people. Mm. It's just like, it's so insane. Yeah. And it's almost like a way, it kind of reminds me of like Catholic guilt. Like, you know, you're born a yeah. sinner. It's like, oh, well, you, in a past life, you know, you might have this nice, nice life now, but you were a Nazi <laughs> in your yeah. past life and you were repaying yes. your karmic debt on that. And the guilt that comes with that, like guilt is such a powerful emotion in human psychology that yes. you will do anything. If your peers feel that you are like guilty of something, you'll do anything to get back in their good books, you know, and if that's paying another $7,000 for another weird self-improvement yeah. course, I'm sure you'll do it. <laughs> yeah. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you know what I use therapy for? Well, it's a bunch of things. I kind of use therapy to combat being a TikTok user, um, not a creator, a user. I love the app, but I do think it's kind of crazy for our brains that in the time span of a minute, you can see five different videos that make you feel five different emotions like happy, sad, angry, anxious, envious of someone's morning routine. So I love using therapy as kind of a way to actually reverse this and think about my emotions and actually process them instead of just feeling them in the background as I swipe. So BetterHelp is online therapy. They offer video, phone, live chat sessions with a therapist. If you don't want to see anyone on camera, you don't have to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy and you're matched with a therapist quickly in under 48 hours. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fluently Forward listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash fluently. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash fluently. So, so all of this starts happening, some articles start getting leaked, um, and then Forbes starts to lightly cover this. So in 2003, they put out an article about Nixium that's pretty critical about it. And Edgar Bronfman, he is the father of those Seagram heiresses, um, he puts out some concerns about his daughters being in the program, which they were not expecting and they got very angry about. And in the article, they found out that the, these two daughters of his, Claire and Sarah, they had taken out a loan of $2 million to give to Nixium in exchange for these sessions. How did you ever wind up in, in the Albany area of New York State? Well, that's kind of a long story, but... That's uh, okay. We'll, if we could shorten up the version, I'd love to hear it. I've never heard an answer to that question. Um, I, I think we, we both arrived here differently. I came first. I was living in, uh, and just out of Antwerp, outside of Antwerp in Belgium. Okay. And um, a, a very old family friend of mine, um, of ours, came and took an Nexium program um, in two, uh, November of 2002, October of 2002, and uh, called me up when I was living in Antwerp and said, you've got to come and try this thing. This is the coolest thing I've ever done. She was a, a therapist and uh, a, a mother of many and um, just found this to be the coolest thing in from her professional this position. This is Nexium. Mm -hmm. Okay. So already back in 2003, they kind of start bankrolling this program because with a lot of cults, I'm like, how do they have so many houses and they feed mm -hmm. and clothe so many people? Like, how do they do it? So this fortune was a lot of what got Nixium up and running. 
That gives me so, like, yeah, I'm sorry, but it gives me like no, no. Succession vibes. Do you watch Succession? It just reminds me of, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, like there's always just this, this trope in like all billionaire families that the dad or the mom came from nothing. They made all this money and then they have these stupid kids yes. who yes. get involved in fucking cults and start taking their money. And you're like, what are you doing? I gave you everything and you choose Nixium. And they're like, dad, yeah. leave us alone. There's this, I don't know if you watch 30 Rock. No, um, I've never actually. Okay. So Alec Baldwin plays Jack Donkey, this like very conservative CEO, like top head honcho. And he has this quote where he's like, he's like, I'm all about like diversity in America. He's like, the first generation comes here and they work hard. They work to the bone. The second generation takes what they were given and then they make it into something bigger and they also work hard. And then he goes, and then the third generation snowboards and takes improv <laughs> classes. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of true. Like people work hard and then eventually in every family you have one generation that gets to kind of coast. Yeah. Hopefully they don't coast into a cult, but you know, mm, yeah. rather than be a painter or have an Etsy store or something. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So now we get into the actresses starting to come in and I think I think Nixium would have been alluring to everyone, not alluring, but like alluring in a fucked up way, in a scandalous mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. But of course, having celebrities does give cults an edge, like in Scientology and Nixium, we are attracted to celebrities. I mean, goddamn, it's my entire podcast. <laughs> so I think when a cult member gets its hands on a celebrity and then they could potentially recruit more celebrities, it's just like goldmine. So in 2006, Allison Mack is recruited um, into Nixium via another actress that's already in the program. And she was on Smallville. I think she was on, she was on another TV show that I've never watched. I think it was called like Wallace or Watson. Um, And she's this cute blonde girl who just looks like a girl next door. Like, she looks like the girl where you want to have her come over after high school and your mom's like, oh, of course, like, I'd love to meet her parents. Like, she's going to be a good influence on you. There's just something about her. And even when she goes to court, I feel like she really played it up for doing all of the sick things that she did. Mm. Even when she went to court, she's wearing like a pink T-shirt and a jean jacket. Like, she's completely, I'm a little girl in herself yeah. and like trying to lean into that. Perfect life for a pretty good life. Like, superficially, materialistically, I was very successful. I had the job, I had the dog, I had the car, I had the boyfriend, I had the blah, 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 the clothes, everything that I thought I needed in order to be okay. And yet, I couldn't stand to be with my family for more than two hours at a time. And the idea of being honest with even my best friend was something that was so far outside the realm of possibility that I just kind of thought you always lived your life inauthentically. Um, And when I came to ESP and I started to do the work in the Coles Lab, do the work in the classes, I started to transform in a way that I never expected. Like, I literally didn't know that you could spend time with someone and not be nervous. I literally didn't know that it was possible to have a, a week with your family where you didn't feel like leaving. <laughs> I just thought that that wasn't really possible. I thought it happened in the movies. And now that's my life, that's my reality. I have an experience of my family that is nothing but joy. And it's, it's astounding. To say Allison dived headfirst into Nexium would be an understatement. So I think that's also what added to the, you know, intrigue of this case. It was just like, what? Like, she's an actor I love from a cute little sitcom. Yeah. So the minute she gets in, she is hooked. And a lot of times, 
before you meet Keith, they have this, you know, these rules at Nixium where you have to take 16 different sessions before you get to meet the Vanguard in person. But Allison Mack gets to meet him after just one session, Mm -hmm. fly on a private plane with him. They get incredibly close and she's just like head over heels for this program. She even had her parents take classes. She was asking different people on the set of Smallville to take classes. And after she wrapped the filming, she moved to New York to be close to the headquarters of Nixium and not like downtown Tribeca, New York. It's like someplace, you know, outside of Albany. So she was literally just moving there to be closer to the cult. And as an actress, doesn't really make much sense. Like, <laughs> what type of gigs are in Albany? Like, none, you know? So and she that's literally, why, that's literally yeah. why I think so many of these actresses are so small. Like, they never really made it. They never really penetrated yeah. into, like, A-list celeb because, guess what? They're involved in a cult and they're dedicating all their money, all their time to actually just progress in the cult, which they believe is going to make them progress in their career. But it's obviously, like, yeah. they're, you know, they're completely mutually exclusive. Like, you cannot do both. You know. And that's why I find it fascinating that like Tom Cruise is in Scientology because I would think it's going to be so much harder for a cult to get their hooks into an A-list actor because their publicist is going to be like, we need you. Like the manager is going to mm-hmm. be like, I need to make money off of you. Their 10 million fans on Instagram are going to be like, why haven't you posted a story? You know, like yeah. they kind of have those people to keep them in Hollywood, but a B, C-list actor, or actress, it's kind of easier to fall off. Yeah, especially even on a TV show, like you're probably working seasonally. You, may, you might have yeah. half the year off um, yeah. and a cult will always let you work because that's how they get their financial source. So they'll be like, yes. okay, go to LA for three months and I'll see yeah, you Yeah, go here. to LA. In fact, take one of our members with you and have them go to parties. And <laughs> exactly. Bring some back as well. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Bring us a little souvenir yeah. from uh, La La Land. <laughs> so now we get into DOS, which is the, you know, quote unquote, female empowerment how they tried to brand it which is such a slap in the face to feminism that like this is where they were trafficking and abusing women and they're like come on you know girl boss time so literally hijacking the girl bossery of like it's like do you want to be a girl boss i'll show you how to be a girl boss start you know sex leaving your friends (laughs) yes it's like horrible so it it started in 2015 and it was referred to within nixium as the secret sisterhood and it was basically if you thought nixium was a multi-level marketing thing dos was a hundred percent that so it's full of women and of course keith is popping in and out And each woman controls other women that they report to. And then there's like three top women that report to Keith. And that's kind of the pecking order. They literally literally refer to themselves as slaves, masters and slaves. And the woman above you is your master and you are her slave. And the whole idea around it, it followed a bunch of, you said you've been online. I've been online to like dark red pilly corners of the Mm -hmm. internet And it followed a lot of those ideologies. They talked about how powerful Keith's sperm was, how if his sperm was inside of you, some woman could see a blue light, whatever the fuck that means. Um, And how women need to be disciplined. Like they are crazy and you need orders. And it is right for one man to have multiple women. And it is right for a man to give women orders because we just don't know what to do. And a man needs to tell us. And that's the way things should work. So you know, if any insults are listening, you probably just 
got very, very excited. <laughs> I don't believe in that, but that was the whole thing. Master mm-hmm. slave focus on discipline and they would have texting relationships between these masters and slaves and they had to be responsible to respond to texts at all hours of the night. And they would purposely be texted at like 1am, 4am and have to respond within five minutes. Otherwise they got punished. And the punishments were restrictions of food, spankings, having to go to the gym more. And they were also all on these crazy regimens. They had to weigh under a hundred pounds. They had to go to the gym once or twice daily. They had to, of course, keep a hairy pubic bush because he believed that pubic hair, Keith had this theory that pubic hair could retain more pheromones that would trigger the opposite sex. So like, that was why they needed to have these like big bushes. Like, I can't believe like these words are coming out of my mouth. Um, (laughs) And like you said, with Scientology, there was also collateral required. So on a monthly basis at first, and then a weekly basis, they would have to send nudes, photos of themselves masturbating. They would have to also do false admissions of like, oh, my husband abused me when he really didn't. And they would text all of this to their master to just like keep a file on them. It's so crazy. Do you know It's so much of the um, part of the DOS gives me such major Ghislaine Maxwell vibes. Like, because uh-huh. if you were within this and you were expected to report directly to a man, like most women would be kind of like, mm, I don't know. Yes. But because it's another woman and they know that, like that, like, as we said, they're hijacking the girl bossery. Okay. They're, mm-hmm. they know that women will intrinsically trust another woman i listened to your episode where you spoke um to uh was it your sister-in-law about um, the uh trafficking and that's a big thing like people who are into trafficking or grooming they will use someone who they feel the other person will trust right a person in and for women that's usually another woman you kind of go oh well she's not gonna fuck me over so yeah i'll send her the collateral and i also heard that he was really into like intense zoomed in close-ups of like a vagina Vaginas. yes <laughs> okay and like, you said, like <laughs> the girls were friends like one of these girls that was alice and max slave would sleep in bed with her just like the, like a girlfriend's having a sleepover yeah. you know yeah yeah so it just adds this whole other complex layer of just yeah. like fuckery to it um so let's see here okay then they get into the branding. So this was also something that Keith wanted for his top slaves. Oh my God. I feel like so gross even saying this. So for the top slaves within DOS, he wanted them to be branded so they would never leave him. So I think it was 18 different women that he did this to. He had a female doctor brand them and I'll post these pictures on um, Instagram. And he said that the branding was supposed to be the symbol of like all the elements of nature, the mountains, the earth, the air, the water, whatever. But it, what it really looks like is his initials K R and Allison's initials A M when you look at it sideways. So like all these women were branded with the carterizing gun and it just sounds like this incredibly traumatic experience. Mm. Did you get to that part in the vow where they talked about it? Yeah, where they actually spoke about being held down and they have to, it's very like ritualistic. I think this is when, yes. I remember reading about this, this is probably the story that um, I first found out about Nixium because I was like, this is like straight out of like a Pizzagate, like Reddit thread. Like, yes. I was like, you know, and it's like, gonna, it's like fodder for them. Like it's food for that kind of conspiracy yeah. world because it's like, Oh, here's an actual cult 
in Hollywood where they're like not only like trafficking and like having all this like sex slave stuff, but they're like fully fucking branding them like satanic ass ritual shit. It's so bizarre and again sounds completely made up, but like, you know, Sarah Edmondson, who was in Smallville, like has the fucking it's brand. And she said yeah, it was you can more painful it. than childbirth. Like it sounded horrific. No anesthetic. It's just burning your flesh. And those were a lot of little lines made. And um, it's like you said, right? Like you need to be logical when you look at conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. The idea of Donald Trump saving all of these kidnapped children in secret around the globe, I would say that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. I don't think he cares about children because he's bullying Greta Thunberg on Twitter. So like, <laughs> if he can't even refrain from that, I really doubt he's doing a secret operation to save children all over the world. Right. Mm -hmm. So you look at that, you're like, that's not true. But then, like you said, you look at this idea of, oh, a billionaire has an island where politicians and celebrities um, abuse children on that island, or there are celebrities in a sex cult having the leader's initials branded on them. And you would also look at both of those and go, that's insane. But that happened. So like, then you're forced to open your mind to like these insane things. And it just blurs the lines so much. Yeah, it's it crazy does. Stuff. And, and it's hard, you know, it's obviously always, and sometimes when you're talking to someone, I'm sure you get it too, where mm -hmm. you'll bring up something like this to someone who has no idea. And you, you're like, oh my God, I sound insane. I sound you, insane. Like I watch myself outside of myself and I'm like, I just ruined this brunch. I'm like, <laughs> they want to kick me out of the table. <laughs> I know me bringing up Jeffrey Epstein's like love of eugenics at any time. Like if someone's like, Jenny, please stop. And I'm like, you don't understand. He wanted to build a super race of people. It's so The worst weird. is if I'm ever drunk at a New York party and I meet someone who works at a hedge fund in New York, I'm like, do you know Jeffrey Epstein? Do you know anyone who knew Jeffrey Epstein? Because a lot of people knew what was going on in his lawyer with the trant. And they're like, you need to, this is not party talk. I'm like, okay. <laughs> kind of is though it depends on the party <laughs> exactly that's the party i throw so um so sarah edmondson she's a canadian actress and she's the one who really broke the news about all of this especially the branding she was in the vow and when she spoke out about it hundreds of members left nixium because yeah. keep in mind you know the dos was insane but there were also some people just getting executive training programs and their stupid little sashes and they had like no idea that this was happening. Mm -hmm. So now news is coming out about it. In um, 2017, ABC 2020 airs this expose about it with former folks from Nixium. And in that, Catherine Oxenberg says that her daughter, India Oxenberg, who's another like rich heiress, you know, socialite type that was in the group, she says that like she's in danger due to the group and things like that. When my mom went public, I learned it about it really through the media, because I was only getting bits and pieces of information from the people inside of Nexium, And it was never really a complete story until the New York Times broke. And that's when I became aware of how much she was participating with the people that had already left Nexium. So your mom, right, when your mom said she wanted to save you, save you from what was going on, were you in a position where you, you think you could understand that message? Did you want to be saved? Did you even see yourself in need of being saved? Not, not at all. When I heard that my mom was on a crusade to save me, I was like, save me from what? I'm sitting here in boring ass Albany, twiddling my thumbs, walking around in circles. What do you think is going on? That's really how I felt. That's really how I saw the situation that I was in. 
I was in this bubble that I was so close to. I couldn't, I just had no perspective. So now it's starting to get a reputation um, and people are speaking out, which then leads to the arrest. So in 2018, Keith is arrested. Uh, he fled to Mexico. He was arrested and he ends up being charged for like a hundred years in prison, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's it. They also charge Allison Mack because she was basically his Glenn Maxwell, his second in command. Um, Keith pleaded not guilty and he got this huge, huge sentence. Allison and everyone else, the Bronfman girls, Nancy Salzman, they all pleaded guilty. So their sentences were a lot less. Weirdly enough, Allison Mack was only convicted for three years in prison. So she's going to be out in two years. Yeah, I saw that really weird. And also... um What's the woman who found it with him? What's her name again? Nancy Salzman. Yeah, she got like, because she cooperated as far as I'm aware and kind of threw him yeah. under the bus and she got a reduced sentence too. But yeah, he got, he definitely got a huge sentence, which always shocks me. I'm like, oh, for once they put him away. But I wonder yeah. what, you know, I wonder like, did the did the rest of them cooperate in some way? They must have to get such reduced sentences, I think. I think so. And it, it's very obvious that, you know, he was the worst bad actor out of all Mm. of them Mm. but i just find it you know of course thank god allison's mac her name will forever be tainted with this yeah but i'm also like uh like what are the odds that you get out of jail and she takes up gardening and never does anything malicious again you know i just feel like once you've been working under nefarious circumstances like that and manipulating people like i don't know if that goes away i know it's it's a it's a really confusing one because you see parallels with it with the epstein case right you know you've got someone like virginia uh, jeffrey who you know on paper trafficked in as many if not more people than Ghislaine maxwell did yes um which you know there's even been i don't know if you saw one by the of- way i'm glad you said that because a lot of people are like oh yeah Vir- uh virginia she's like you know, what a victim she's speaking out. But like you said, yeah, she trafficked a bunch of women too. And she had like, I mean, and to put it, you know, I, sp- I speak about this quite a lot on my podcast because I'm just fucking obsessed with the Epstein case. I just think it's so interesting. But that's not to say that she wasn't a victim. Like you can acknowledge someone's wrongdoing while also holding up that she was groomed, brainwashed, mm-hmm. uh, Stockholm syndrome. She came, she had a horrific, horrific uh, start to life. You know, she came from a really, really troubled background. And they're the type of people that they, they picked on. But you know, there. Did you see that um, after there was one of the Jane Doe's in the Ghislaine Maxwell case waived her anonymity to the Daily Mail and came out and was like, "Do not trust Virginia Jeffrey. Like she is just as bad." And blah blah blah. And she trafficked me in. And you know, what, where I come from, that when I see that, I like feel sorry for both because I'm like. It must be hard seeing someone who was your, like, it's this pecking order again. Like, you know, yeah. the, that girl, that Jane Doe was below Virginia. And I mean, it's true what they say, right? Like, you know, hurt people hurt people. Exactly. Like, especially a lot of these serial killers, too. Like, they never really came from, like, yeah. a very loving family. But um, I have heard that about Virginia. And a lot yeah. of people were wondering, why didn't she testify against Ghislaine Maxwell? And I think that was the reason. She's not that reliable on the stand and how how connected to it is she still you know i don't know she's you know she brought she uh, tried to sue prince andrew um which was always going to be a monetary settlement because it's a civil lawsuit it's not a criminal trial but she took a plea deal or she took a you know the offer on the table instead of letting it go to court now 
that happens. I don't, I'm not here to judge anyone's choice and how they like navigate their, like something as horrific as that, never mind just an average sexual assault case. But when you look at it as a whole, I think you always just have to have empathy. And like I interviewed someone who actually left the Church of Scientology on my podcast and he has had, like he was subject to fair game. They tried to destroy his life. They tried to destroy his career, everything. And he even is like, I just have to, have empathy for the people who were even attacking me because I have to remember that they are victims of Scientology too. And that is kind of how you have to look at all of these things. I think like, yes, Ali Mack on paper, you can acknowledge all the bad things that she might've done, but you also have to have empathy for her because that Stockholm syndrome thing, as you said, could still exist. She might still think that Keith is this like vanguard or whatever you know it's so complicated it's so complicated her brain is all scrambled and you see that with a lot of people the um Nikki Klein the Battlestar Galactica one so sure Keith was put away in prison Mm -hmm. but in prison it's not like he turned over a new leaf he's been calling other Nixium members through burner phones asking that Alan Dershowitz the guy who was the attorney for Jeffrey Epstein asking to get him on the case um, still spewing Nixium stuff and Nikki Klein and other followers. This is so weird. They did dance protests outside of the jail <laughs> to show their support for him. So it's like, there are still so many people who are, um, I don't know, just worshiping him. Yeah. Well, sometimes the, the jail sentence can martyr the leader and there can be this whole idea within the cult of like, how dare you? Like, you know, yeah. he is the, the the person who, you know, has the truth and look at everyone putting them behind bars and yes. it can actually sometimes aid their like psychopathy because they're like, they have this martyr complex then of like, look, yes. what I'm sacrificing for all of you, you know, and yeah. it's so complicated. And these things are just never black and white. You know, you can never have like a definitive binary uh, way of speaking about anyone involved. It's so convoluted and so nuanced, which is consistently <laughs> uh, left behind when you talk on the internet. Like people kind of yeah. always lack nuance, but you know, you have to have it with people and look at them individually, but it's, I don't know. It, it it just it never fails to blow my mind. Like the type of shit that can go on that you have no yeah. idea. You know, it's wild. So we'll get into the blinds because mm-hmm. if you think it's wild now, it gets even crazier. Yeah. Just a few miscellaneous things. Keith did get multiple women pregnant and force them to get abortions. He also had children with some of the women. Um, Allison Mack, I think this is interesting. One of the people she approached to join DOS was Emma Watson. She tried to get her in on it from like this feminist angle being like, I know you're a feminist. We're doing this like hot, new, cool feminist thing. You should be a part of it. Obviously, thank God she wasn't. But how brainwashed do you have to be to think that Hermione Granger is going to join your (laughs) sex school? And then also one of the ways that people could tell if you were indoctrinated into DOS is if you claimed to have a garlic allergy. So allegedly, Keith did not want any of his women to be eating garlic because it's one of his other fucked up theories. He thought that it changed the way your vagina smelled and tasted. So all of these women would say that they were allergic to garlic and people started to notice like these women are coming to my restaurant and like they all have a garlic allergy. Like I've never heard of that before. (laughs) Oh my God. Like very incel brained. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The next thing they're going to be is like, oh my God, like if Keith has sex with you, your vagina stays the same size. But if it's another man, it turns huge. It's like, what the fuck? So I find the blinds really interesting on Nixium because 
NT, the lawyer who writes them, he's been writing about Nixium for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure at the time people were like, he's gone off the deep end. And then the news articles started coming out. So he was basically saying that five years ago, this was when it was breaking, he was writing about this actress and the strange sex cult, and he revealed it six months later. But now it is involving group sex with underage people, and they have started branding the pubic area of the teens and others to mark them as permanently owned by our actress and the freak co-leader. He also talks a little bit about, um, what's it called? The collateral that you have to yeah, give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he talks about that. He's talking about Keith for a little bit. And interestingly enough, he talked about how People Magazine knew what was happening, but they didn't want to, you know, ruin their relationship with any celebrities. So that way they couldn't have that relationship in the future. So instead of calling it a sex cult, they referred to Nixium for a while as a self-help group, which is just like such a rotted thing to do. Like, I know that People Magazine is like not the pinnacle of journalism, but like you're actively going to lie to keep a relationship with a trafficking celebrity. That just seems crazy to me. Yeah, well, like, it's not like, you know, the p pinnacle of journalism, but it's probably read by more people than the likes of the Washington Post or whatever <laughs> are, you know, it's, it's reaching yeah. way more people. And oftentimes, like, if you look at like the Daily Mail or the New York Post, like, huge stories are broken there and it's actually delivered to more people than yeah. it would sometimes if it's in a more like academic journal, you know. Um, but it, yeah, that again has like such overlap with Epstein about you know um, them having stuff on Prince Andrew and mm -hmm. just the the uh, the TV channels being like axing it, being like no 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 we're not doing that. And you know I can only imagine how frustrating that is for the fucking journalist who she actually tried to get this out there. But yes, it's just it you know. How are we supposed to trust media corporations when this happens? You Dude, know? this is the thing. Like, you can't. And it's really scary. Like, it's really, it's just a really weird time. Mm -hmm. It's a really weird time, especially the further up the ladder you go. Even, what was this? Oh, my God. Okay, so this was a blind item, which I found true very much with the Epstein stuff. They were saying... To make the media look ridiculous, this sex cult is sending out tips which say that certain members of the celebrity population are or were members of the cult. They're using names that are designed to inflame the blue and red divisions in the country. This is something that happened exactly with Epstein, and it fucking worked. People were like, Epstein was friends with Trump. No, no, no. Bill Clinton flew on his jet. And then instead of talking about Epstein and who he was trafficking these girls to mm -hmm. and how he got started and who's doing it now and who, how did the death happen? What about going Maxwell? Where is she? Instead, people were just like, this means the red team is bad. This means yeah. the blue team is bad. And that's all anyone talked about. Well, it's like, you know, a great distraction is division. And instead of yeah. everyone coming together um you know to be kind of corny but instead of like the public being like holy shit we've got this guy who is a billionaire fucking trafficking children to an island with yeah. a load of celebrities instead of just looking them at them as powerful people who are making decisions for us mere plebs yeah. we have to be like but i'm on the red team but i'm on the blue team and then it's fighting over like who's the bad guy who's the good guy and jeffrey epstein is you know back on the Lolita Express, getting a few kids over to his yes. island, not caring. Because he's like, haha, my stupid famous friends are under the bus now. And it, it just, it makes you feel like you're talking about the situation, but you're not because you're not actually talking about like the, the manipulation of power. You're just talking about like the different team players and it's a distraction, a complete distraction. Yeah. Like even for someone who's done a lot of work on the case, I know a lot more about Jeff 
or sorry, Jeff, about <laughs> Trump, Jeff. <laughs> little, little Jeffrey boy, about like Jeffrey Epstein, Trump, and Clinton than I ever do about how Jeffrey Epstein got his money, you know, like, and that revealing that talking about that in the news, a lot of people too were like, it is a QAnon hoax to say that nobody's talking about the Glenn Maxwell trial. They, it is in the news. Yeah. Do you know what was in the news? The trial happening. Yeah. And the situation with the sketch artist drawing her. That's yeah. what was in the news. When we say it wasn't when we, I'm like when me and Q, no, when, <laughs> when people say like Ghislaine Maxwell isn't being talked about in the news, we're talking about how she got associated with Jeffrey Epstein, who she trafficked these people to, who were her connections, who was in her black book, how did she get involved in all of this? Is she connected to someone who's taking it over while she's in jail? Like these are all the things that we want to be talked about. So sure, the news is covering it, but they're not digging in. They're no, just covering the surface there's no level. Real, so. There's no real journalism. There's no, yes. people are not digging and looking and trying to follow the trail. Like, mm-hmm. what do we know about Lex Wexner? Like, why did he give his fucking house to Jeffrey Epstein? Like, these are weird <laughs> things. These are like- and you figure that out and that's how you get to stop it for the next yeah, time. If you just cover what happened, it's going to happen again. You need to dig in deep enough to figure out the root of what's happening. Cut that out so it doesn't happen again. Otherwise, like we're completely due for another Jeffrey Epstein. It's probably still happening. Like oh, I've, I've no, no doubt about it that Jeffrey Epstein was in no way the the end of that money train. He was a mm-hmm. like a, a like just a pawn in someone else's game. Someone who you know wanted power, wanted wealth, and wanted to be surrounded. And also, like you know, let's not be like he wanted young girls as well. But you know, mm-hmm. he wanted all these things, and some rich and powerful people gave it to him and they used him to do, I'm sure, a lot of stuff that isn't as like salacious, you know, probably a lot of boring money laundering and stuff like that. Um, Through through hedge funds, which like, you know, is boring on paper, but really when you look at it, you're like, oh, that's the real corruption that's going on like every single day. Um, And then, you know, getting him to do other sordid affairs, like get collateral again to blackmail people the parallels are crazy with these things and you know people might think it's hysterical to compare something like Nixie and Epstein but there are huge overlaps and you can't ignore it and in the blinds they also are connected weirdly Mm -hmm. enough so there's these blinds saying there's one saying you know Jeffrey Epstein um was obsessed with European royalty and having them owe him a favor. So he got involved with Catherine Oxenberg. You'll remember her daughter, India, was part of Nixium. So allegedly, Jeffrey Epstein was involved with her. They had a torrid romance, but then he thought that she would make better skill, better use of her skills as an actress with Keith Raniere. So he passed Catherine Oxenberg. He introduced her to Keith Raniere, allegedly. That's how Nixium kind of got started with all of the money. Um, and then... God, this is this is the part of the line that I don't think is true. They're saying, is the billionaire the father of a child? Basically saying, did Jeffrey Epstein father India Oxenberg? Mm. I don't think that that happened. But I definitely think like these sickos knew each other. Um, I think so too. I remember reading that line yeah. before and being like yeah. so freaked out by it. Um, and I they definitely knew each other. They, you know, like Jeffrey Epstein was like 
amazing at keeping people on his side. So I really don't doubt like he would keep someone who is a fellow trafficker on his side. I'm sure there was Passover of, because they had a very similar taste. And I think Keith liked them a little younger, which is just so disturbing to think of. But they had very similar taste in what um, kind of girls they wanted to abuse. And I I mean, I'm sure they, they both ran a Ponzi scheme. They both had an MLM. I mean, Jeffrey Epstein had an MLM. He, you know, you know, got girls to massage him and then was like, but if you don't want to massage me, you can just get me more girls. And yeah. what girl is going to choose the abuse? They all choose yes. the more yes. girls, you yeah. know? So how can you, you know, to go back to someone like uh, Virginia, like that's where the, it's so hard to think of because how can you blame someone for choosing the MLM rather than the abuse? Yeah. How it's can like you blame someone? You know, a it's classic Stockholm blackmail syndrome. situation. Yeah. They're like, you know, if you call the police, we'll cut off her finger. So instead <laughs> give us money. And you're like, okay, well, like, Jesus, like, I don't want her yeah. finger to be cut off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's 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 just where the it's very convoluted to look at. And we'll probably never understand it fully, especially with the Epstein case. I'm sure there was just um have you read the book uh Relentless Pursuit? I'm immediately adding it to my wish list. Oh my God, you have to read this book. It's by Bradley Edwards, who was the uh, lawyer who represented all of the victims up until Uh, he died. And it's it's insane, Shannon. I'm like, I'm such a freak. I'm like, how did he die? Oh my God. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive up until Jeffrey Epstein died. Oh, so this oh, okay. book is like he starts from like the very first day a girl from Palm Beach came into his office being like this has happened to me and it goes all yes. the way up until Jeffrey Epstein dies um, and it has I mean the case is even crazier than you can imagine it just goes into so much detail but you should read that book and that's yeah. when you really get like a, even a fraction of the gravity of how many people were involved how uh, psychopathic him and Ghislaine were how like John Luke Brunel all of them it's it and it it just highlights it to you that like we're, we it's something you'll never understand unless you're in it I don't think yeah and I will say that like you said you know Virginia is a little bit of an unreliable narrator sometimes mm-hmm. and you know recounting what happened to her but I I think one of the best things she ever did of course was speaking out but her speaking out if she didn't I don't think so many girls would have come forward and there's still so many stories that we know we haven't heard but I think she was so instrumental in in having people share what happened yeah like she had that picture so like she had she had the smoking gun so without that it would have all been speculative really or people could have at least gaslit the victims with like oh Oh. you have no evidence like and they still do even with the photo Prince Andrew goes oh it was photoshopped which makes you want to bang your head (laughs) through the fucking wall we have some blinds about Alison Mack. Um, and of course, like I said, B-list actress, she's really only referred to in the blinds when it comes to Nixium, not about anything beforehand. This was a really fascinating one and it was a blind item that was revealed. So whenever that happens, typically, you know, there's a level of truth to it that mm-hmm. at least like on the site and he would be able to defend himself. So allegedly she was trying to get Evangeline Lilly into Nixium. She played Kate on Lost. Recently she was in like that Marvel movie where she was like a wasp or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently after a bunch of text calls and DMs, they were able to go out to dinner. So they went out to dinner at Vancouver and Allison Mack turned on the charm. She ends up making out with Evangeline in the corner 
And the next day she was like ready to try and convince her to join Nixium. But Keith Ranieri was such a little fucked up pervert that he flew across the country, forced himself to join the dinner and was really aggressive with Evangeline Lilly. So she ended up just like finishing dinner and leaving and never talking to them again. So thank God that he was creepy. Yeah. Um, No wonder he has these women do his bidding for him. Like, I know it's, it's like classic yeah. incel behavior. Like, yes. and it's yeah. the same with Epstein again. Like he yeah. was so strange. He had this thing, right? So I got this from this book, which yeah. is never mentioned. Cause I guess it's such a side story of what he would do to the girls. But after he would get the girls to give like a basic massage, the next step was he would get them to squeeze his nipples as hard as they could. And like, he literally wanted them to almost like tear his nipples off. Like he was like harder screaming at the girls. And it's like, no wonder you needed so many people to help you get, well, him like abused, but like even this with like a consenting adult, like you need your girlfriend to not only go and like make out with the girl to do all your bidding for you, to make you out to send like this like big dick fucking super sperm freak. And then you turn up and like <laughs> blow your load within 10 minutes and the girl's like, bye. Like, yes. You and know? you know what really creeps me out? The fact that both Jeffrey Epstein and her Harvey Weinstein were like, I'm going to show up in a bathrobe, massage, massage. I'm like, why are you bringing the spa industry into like your <laughs> fucked up perversions? Like, it's just so weird to me. It's so weird. I the, the massage thing will never not blow my mind. Like, I understand it was like, at first when I read about it, I thought it was just a way of grooming, right? To get physical touch involved, which it probably was yeah. to an extent. I also think he really wanted loads of massages. Like, he got three massages a day. Minimum. He also had like actual masseuses. So he had like his underage massages. He had his like actual masseuses. He was putting people in massage school. I'm like, your muscles must have been like Wagyu beef, like so yeah. tender. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, what the fuck? How does anyone fit that many massages into a day? The assassin comes into his jail cell and they're trying to strangle him. And they're like, your neck is so, there's no knots in here whatsoever. It's going to be yeah. very easy. They're like, oh, wow. He's like this rubber neck, probably. Probably took him a few goes to like push him over. That's why they like broke his fucking voice box so much. Like the man must have been so supple. That is insane. And that's also, I think when we think of addictions too, you know, of course, we think of a sex addiction. Obviously, he he had yeah. that. We think of drugs. We think of video games. If you are getting a massage three to six times a day, that's an addiction. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there was a sex addiction. I'm sure there's some fucked up, weird power thing about it. And this is how I know people like Jeffrey Epstein are so different. I, don't you ever feel a little guilty when you have a massage? Like, I love it, but I'm also like, this person probably doesn't want to be doing this for an hour. Oh, 100%. Like, yeah. sometimes I go in for a massage and, like, the girl's, like, half my height. Like, I'm like, oh, God, I'm so tall. Like, you're yeah. like, and I'm like, you know, you can go a bit harder and I can feel them kind of like, oh, I'm like, you, you yeah. do have this weird kind of like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And that's why, like, you know, paying a professional, at least you're like, okay, well, at least you're getting paid well. He's yeah, at least like, you're he's like, no, 16-year-olds, please, who grew up in a trailer park. That's what I want. Yeah. And I'm going to, like, ruin their life forever as well while I'm on board. Like, it just seems, I, I just, the, the massage thing just is so weird. And, like, um, she's seen, the, like, the Ghislaine uh, Maxwell case. One of the victims was talking about, like, how Ghislaine, like, would talk to her. But it was actually Annie Farnham who went mm. to the ranch, Zorro Ranch again. Nerd yes. alert, you're calling yeah. your ranch Zorro Ranch, you yes. fucking nerd. <laughs> like, you can't think of anything else. Even a Latin name would have been better than Zorro Ranch. A little DOS. Yeah. <laughs> like, 
a failed movie with Catherine Zeta-Jones in the 90s. Okay. Okay. We'll do a couple more Alice yep. and Mac ones and then maybe some miscellaneous ones. This was interesting. And Hollywood is so sick. I don't doubt it. There's a blind saying, this former TV actress, blah, 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 will probably never get an acting job again. The thing is, though, there are producers and directors who are willing to throw thousands of dollars her way to hook up with her just so they can say they did it. This includes males and females. She gets a dozen offers a day and asks someone in power to let her have the chance to meet them all without saying it exactly in those words. And we also have blind items about Allison Mack hooking up with people while she was convicted and out on bail, basically no saying way. that she still talked to the same people from the same cult, saying that she's hooking up with at least two people to pay for her legal defense. Um, and this blind that says the restrictions imposed on this former TV actress, blah, 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 are now defunct. Uh, do not state that she can't have sex with people. Apparently, she has been using sex to get others to reach out and do things for her that would be impossible in her current situation. The people she has sex with then meet with others that our actress wishes to be contacted, which honestly, I feel like it's not surprising. She probably got out of a situation where sex had been used as currency and a bartering system for years. You're not just going to turn that off overnight because you've been convicted. It's kind of the only thing you know how to do now. Well, that makes me, it just makes me really sad. It, sh it yeah. shows how deep the brainwashing goes and how even when you are seeing, like say in the best case scenario, she still, she has seen the light and she sees that he is like a bad person it shows that she still hasn't acknowledged that like this use of sex as and her body being this like form of currency mm -hmm. like that's the only value and it's like your value is diminished so much like mm -hmm. that these are the only things that you feel that you can do and especially when you're you know going about your business in an industry like acting in Hollywood where that is openly accepted you know it's not like she's going into like you know I was gonna say hedge funding but we all know how dark that is she's not going into like advertising and being like so does anybody want to take my workload like I'll give you a blowjob yeah. you know where it would be like shut down she's yeah. going in she's in an industry unfortunately for her she's kind of like cuckolded in this industry that sex is currency it's clearly still going on by no mm -hmm. means was it cancelled when fucking harvey weinstein was put away like i still i think he was like such a sacrificial lamb i think it was yes you know it's still going on if not probably more now because people aren't looking at it so closely and yeah. i just think it makes me just think of you know how many actresses out there are is this being expected of how many young girls who are like or any age like moving out to Hollywood that like it's still this expectation and they might go there thinking oh it's been cancelled now we had me too it's like no it's still very much expected of you and you know unfortunately there are people who were manipulated and controlled so much that like that perpetuates it too and it's this weird hamster wheel and snake eating its yeah. tail that like how can you end it that's what I don't know I think the manipulation too also it comes in so many different forms too. Do you watch Euphoria at all? Yes, yes, I do. So I was reading the articles about Sydney Sweeney's nude scenes and how there was an intimacy coordinator on set. And, you know, she said no to some nude scenes and she felt okay to say that. And Sam was like, that's fine. Yeah. But, you know, maybe I'm just a little bit jaded at this point, but part of me thinks, was that a play that Sam did to say, okay, I want Sydney Sweeney nude scenes 
If I put two in, she might say no to them and then there will be no nude scenes. But if I put in 20, then she's going to feel pressured to do at least a couple of them. Yeah, I might get five. (laughs) Yeah. So if I put in 30, then great. She'll be doing 10 because she'll say no and feel like she's winning. It's this like false um, sense of security given by choice, right? Yeah. Like, you know, we are... I guess just in like under like modern capitalism, not to make that a thing, but we are given this thing that like empowerment is choice. And yes. so Sydney Sweeney, you know, she could have, but it's a good it's a good parallel to make. You know, are you empowered by giving this choice, or would you be better off just being like, no, I'm not doing that completely? And yeah. I remember reading that too. And I think it, it sounded like, you know, good that she had that choice. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that, but you do have to wonder. You're like, but why is there any nudity really needed of Sydney Sweeney anyway? Like, bar the odd sex scene, that's fine. I'm no prude yeah. around that. The Jared Leto thing is weird, right? Like, it's like, what the fuck is going on there? He's running some sort of weird, like, we all wear white robe cult thing. Yeah, and like, I think I'll have to cover that on one episode because he's should. like, it's not a cult. And all of his fan members are like, it's not a cult. But then you look at the parallels with Nixium and it's like, they're wearing specific colors they have to refer to him by a specific name they have a specific name for themselves people who are close to him are having sex with him it's just like okay if it's not a cult then like tell me what it is because it's not summer camp i know i'm also like jerry leto didn't you just turn 50 and look 23 like what the fuck there's something going on something's up with him i hate that he's still good looking i know it's actually infuriating like i mean because i used to watch him on what was that show he was on um my so-called life do you remember that like re- it's like 90s i never really knew much of him until Claire Dane. he started popping off but yeah i know that he was yeah and he, he was like band, the heart throb in that show he looks yeah. the exact same it's bizarre yeah. i'm like there's something going on in the cult like my mind's He's going probably work done yeah he must he must get good work done i'm like, gonna look at his like eyebrows the next time he's mm, in an interview and be like are they moving yeah <laughs> Okay, so as we wrap up here, please tell people where they can find you and just a little bit more about what you cover because like every single topic is so exciting. Uh, well, you can find me on, uh, you can find the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts with just search for Red Room. Um, and it's two separate words. Yes, two yeah. separate words. Uh, you can find the podcast Instagram, which is redroom.com pod um and yeah just search for red room jenny claffy that's my full name you'll probably find it i cover so much like i did a really great episode last week not to toot my own horn but um all about the dark history of rock and roll that was super Mm -hmm. super interesting i've had a dream analysis on recently as well talking about dreams what they mean um i do deep dives into cults true crime obviously conspiracy stuff and there's a lot of jeffrey epstein on there i won't lie (laughs) I love it. And the last question, what is your favorite conspiracy theory of all time? Like I I might have to go with the classic Epstein. I also love Atlantis, Hollow Earth, stuff like that. Yeah, I have a major soft spot for like uh ancient alien stuff. More yes. than like it's just so bizarre but sometimes like I would watch that show and I was so hungover and like well, at first you're like what is this and then you're like <laughs> To be like, honest, yes. I think Hitler 
met the aliens. (laughs) Sometimes I'm just convinced, you know, it depends on how hungover I am. There's nothing more I love than curling up on the couch with like a bowl of Annie's mac and cheese and watching a bunch of like nerdy so-called scientists take one piece of evidence and like talk about it with different Shutterstock images for the next hour. I'm like, wow, talk about making a mountain out of a molehill. That is my comfort zone as well. Like there's not, you know, there's like National Geographic documentaries that like clearly so much money went into, but no one is talking about what they found. They're like, have the Incas, did they meet ancient civilizations? And they they never come to a conclusion ever. My favorite is the theory that aliens live in the ocean because people think they've seen UFOs go in and out of water. So they're Mm -hmm. like, Atlantis is real and the aliens aren't in space. They're in our oceans. I'm like, what? (laughs) I know. I think like that's my favorite. And then also I think Jeffrey Epstein, it's just the case that keeps on giving. Like every time I try and hang it up, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to annoy people with this anymore. Jean-Luc Brunel is found dead and the cameras weren't working and he was hanging in his cell as well. I'm like, I can't not talk about this. This is insane. It's just, I feel like this is a cause everyone can get behind. Like you would be hailed as a hero. I just think, you know. It's that is my true wet dream when it comes to conspiracies. If I got like the names to be even just four, I'll deal with like four names. I'll do the rest of the research, you know. But I don't know. We'll have to keep. We'll have to keep looking. We'll manifest it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. We'll manifest it. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, I hope people please go check out Red Room. I am very, very excited to hear more episodes about this topic. And thank you for just like coming on and getting into the dirt with me. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. I love nothing more than being able to talk for an hour and a half about this stuff (laughs) to someone because most people run away from me. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so, 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 so much to Jenny for coming on. I hope you enjoyed that creepy little episode about Nixium. Um, And I think it's going to be exciting to see what happens when Allison Mack is out of prison. So obviously we'll have to do a little recap when she comes out and see what happens. So in terms of trending news, something that I want to talk about and something that we're going to be focusing on for the Substack. If you don't know, we do have a Substack newsletter. It goes out every week. You can just head over to fluentlyforward.substack.com to check it out. It's $5 for the month, which is like, I think four or five newsletters. Um, We go over blinds that weren't in the episode, trending topic blinds, and then also just like you know, whatever is currently happening, listener submitted blinds, celebrity tidbits, whatever. So let's get into Elon Musk and Grimes. They have welcomed their second child together. It's a daughter. And the whole scenario about this daughter and how she was born, it's just really, uh, it's really interesting. What else would you fucking expect from Elon and Grimes? So let me tell you about it. The name of their daughter, and I know that I typically mispronounce things on here. This isn't even my fault if I get it wrong. So the name of their daughter is Exa Dark Side Rael Musk. And I, Side Rael, I have no idea. It's one of those letters that isn't even on the keyboard. Why do they do this? Who knows? So check it out. The girl was born via surrogate in December of last year, and the only reason we're hearing about it is because Grimes was being interviewed by Vanity Fair, and while the journalist was interviewing her, a baby started crying upstairs, and the journalist was like, what's going on with the crying baby? And Grimes had to be like, oh yeah, that's like our second child, and that was how it came out. I have to say, I personally love that. I think if you're a celebrity, you have to kind of fulfill your role, and like hiding children, and like surprise pregnancies and things like that I just think it's fun I'm like obsessed with it if I was a celebrity not I think there'd be two things I would definitely do if I was a celebrity one would be a weekly massage how nice would that be and then the second 
I would get surrogates. Oh my God, if you have the money, I just like feel like that's fantastic. So what is going on with Elon Musk and Grimes? Their relationship, oh my God, she describes it as quote, very fluid. They broke up in September of last year. So I guess like six months ago or whatever. Check out this quote, she says, I think it's so embarrassing. She goes, there's no real word for it. I would probably refer to him as my boyfriend, but we're very fluid. We live in separate houses. We're best friends. We see each other all of the time. We just have our own thing going on and I don't expect other people to understand it. Here's what I have to say. Elon Musk, I think we can all agree, you know, narcissist at best, sociopath at worst. Um, I just think, you know, sure, he makes like funny memes on Twitter, but I've just heard stories of what his ex-wives has said about him, both in interviews and then also through the rumor mill. And he just seems like an absolutely fucking insane person, right? Like how many sane billionaires are there? If you are fucking Elon Musk, that's one thing. He's a billionaire, so like I can't really, you know, who's to say I wouldn't do the same if I was in your position. But to call Elon Musk your best friend, I find that so embarrassing. That's just so embarrassing. He's your best friend? Like, ew, who wants Elon Musk as their best friend? I just, I don't know. I really don't understand it. So anyway, we'll be covering more blind items about Grimes on the Substack because I really want to know what is going on with her head and I know that she has a crazy background. So head over there if you want to learn more about Grimes. Now, I don't really cover the royals that much. To be honest, I just like, I'm not really like the royal, like who cares? I'm really not interested in the royals. But Prince William did have a little bit of a fucked up quote this week where, here, I'll just read you the tweet. It says, Prince William said it's rather normal to see war and bloodshed in Africa and Asia, but not Europe during a visit to the Ukrainian Cultural Center in London today. Quote, it's very alien to see this in Europe. We are all behind you, he told the volunteers there. And to put his quote in like the best faith light possible. I'm sure, you know, maybe what he was trying to say is, you know, it's horrible to see war anywhere, especially to see it in my home. But like the quote just doesn't make sense. And it's just frankly wrong, especially every single word world. Am I, am I good? World war that has happened has happened in Europe. Like we all took history classes and like, we're figuring out like, okay, what, what were the things that instigated this war and how did it happen? And like, at no point were they like, oh yeah, someone in Africa or Asia actually got things started over there. Like absolutely not. Like it was born in Europe that lived in Europe. That's where all of the world wars have happened. Maybe at one point, like just thinking history class level, you could think of how Japan was involved in the access um, against the allies in World War II, but it's just like, it's absolutely insane to me to think that you could say a quote like that and think that it's normal. It's just, I don't know. It's really messed up. I also feel like I don't know. My, my family and I go down to East Africa a bunch. I've been down to Tanzania eight times and I see so many people just put their foot in their mouth online when it comes to quotes about the continent, because it is a continent, not a country of Africa. People will be like, catching my flight to Africa, like going to Africa, something, something Africa. I'm like, you are not doing that. I'm like, you wouldn't say that, you know, like if you're going to one place, if you're going to Paris, you don't say I'm going to Europe. You say I'm going to Paris. I just... There's a bunch of moments where people put their foot in their mouth, and I just feel like if you're a fucking prince, like, how embarrassing. I think that quote is much more embarrassing than saying that Elon Musk is your best friend, but, like, anyway, I just wanted to highlight that because I think it's a little bit fucked up. Okay, and another thing that kind of has to do with Ukraine, this was a headline that Gigi Hadid is donating her Fashion Month earnings to Ukrainian relief, and I feel like the Hadid sisters are often 
donating good amounts of money. I try to keep track of like which celebrities are donating or speaking out about things and which ones for, you know, the most uh, really aren't. For example, I think right now it's kind of fucked up that Taylor Swift isn't saying anything about the Don't Say Gay bill in Florida when she literally took the LGBTQ community and like sold an entire album off of it. You know what I mean? Like, one second you're doing the you need to calm down music video and talking about how you're such a huge ally and then you know you need to do your duty as an ally to a community that's in need and it's like oh like I just I stay off of social media right now and not to shit on her too heavy because I know when everything was going on with Kesha she was in the background silently donating so I'm assuming something like that would happen but I just find it really weird like if you brand yourself as an outspoken ally of a community you kind of have to be an ally forever you can't just like pop in seasonally. Okay, I'm getting off topic, but yeah, so Gigi Hadid is donating her Fashion Month earnings to Ukrainian Relief, and it's funny because I feel like Gigi has gotten a bunch of grief for trying to do good things lately. She had that quote where she gave up her magazine cover to someone, and people were like, well, she was like, yeah, I don't want this magazine cover. It should go to someone who needs it more than me, or basically someone who needs that opportunity because like, I'm already pretty well known. Let me know what you think of that. I thought that was, like, a nice move on her end, and a lot of people were like, this is tone deaf, this is, like, fucked up, that she's even saying that, it's, like, so presumptuous of her. And then this headline with her donating her Fashion Month earnings to Ukrainian Relief, I saw a lot of people, too, being like, oh my god, like, that's not even where she makes the bulk of her money, and that's only, like, point blank percentage of, like, how much money she actually has, so this really isn't anything... Anyway, I just have to say, I think that mindset is really fucked up. Um, I don't really talk about it on here, but I started a nonprofit in 2008, and I just think anytime somebody is being vocal about donating, it does encourage more people to donate. It does encourage more people to volunteer. Giving a little is definitely way better than not giving anything at all. So I don't know. Let me know what you think about that. But I'm just happy that Gigi Hadid is like doing anything, really. And I think that these headlines are helpful. So I don't know. I guess um, I also like to use kind of comments and how people react to things in the same sense as blind items. So that way you can kind of put your finger in the wind and see like how the winds of gossip and narratives are affecting different celebrities. So what I have to take from this is a lot of a lot of animosity towards Gigi Hadid in the last couple of months. And I don't really know why it's there, especially with everything that happened with Zayn and Yolanda. You would have thought that Gigi didn't really do anything wrong interesting to think about. Okay, that is it for this week. Thank you so, so much for listening. Jenny, thank you for coming on, and I'm really excited because um, I will be recording with Talia and Alexis from the Bad Vibes podcast uh, on the actual day that this comes out. So next week, the episode that you can expect is going to be a part two on social media and influencer blind items. We're going to be covering blind items on uh, YouTubers, podcasters, TikTokers. I think there's like some Instagram people or like pseudo celebrities on there. So that's going to be fun. I always think that's just like an interesting industry to dive in because they're, they're the almost there celebrities. So thank you so much for listening and I will catch you next week. Bye guys.